On this week's episode of Inside Outside Innovation, we sit down with Athol Duncan, author of Leaders in Lockdown, Inside Stories of COVID-19 and the New World of Business. We talk about his interviews with senior executives from around the world during the first 100 days of lockdown and what he learned about crisis management, leadership development, and what's next in the post-COVID hybrid world. Let's get started. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast to help you rethink, reset, and remix yourself and your organization. Each week, we'll bring you the latest innovators, entrepreneurs, and pioneering businesses, as well as the tools, tactics, and trends you'll need to thrive as a new innovator. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. Today, we have Athol Duncan. He is author of Leaders in Lockdown. Inside Stories of COVID-19 and the New World of Business. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here and great to be a guest of yours. I'm looking forward to chatting about innovation and how we lead out of lockdown, Brian, because that's the question that everyone's trying to get their heads around now. Absolutely. We have gone through disruption, and I think people understand a little bit what that means. You have written this book. You spoke to 28 senior executives around the world in the United States, Europe, Asia, during the first 100 days of lockdown to understand and get their feedback on what we were going through when it comes to disruption. So maybe we'll start with the book. Give us a little hint and insights into what it's all about and what you learned from it. The way the book came about was in March of 2020, I sit on the boards of various businesses and All of these businesses were in some state of jeopardy and certainly in a state of crisis. And I was pretty stressed by the whole situation, I think, as most people were. And I decided that there was what I thought was a crossroads in history, certainly a crossroads, probably the defining moments of this century. And I wanted to capture them. So I followed 28 business leaders, people whose businesses were spread from Asia to Europe to UK and many leaders in the US, and really to answer a couple of questions from them. How were they leading through the pandemic and how did they think the world would change because of what we've all been through? When you reached out to these leaders, what was the initial kind of feedback that you got? Was it nervousness? Was it uh, excitement? What kind of what were the emotions that people were going through? And specifically, how did they adapt to that? sudden disruption? I got remarkable access because these people were locked down in their kitchens and (laughs) it was like they'd witnessed some particularly dramatic accident because they just wanted to share with someone. They wanted to talk to someone about what was happening to their businesses, which were getting pretty smashed up at the time. So they opened their Zooms to me. And they talked to me, they talked from the heart, and they talked about how they hoped the world would change. And the the remarkable thing was that many of these people whose businesses, which they had built themselves over many years and were lying smashed around about them, they remained remarkably humble and remarkably steady in their thoughts. But, you know, they knew this was a major moment. So, you know, even a year ago, we knew this was a pretty significant moment. And the general message was that even back then was this is a time to reset. Mm -hmm. It's a time to reset how we run our businesses and it's a time to reset how we run society. 
So in the book and through the conversations, you defined, I think, seven core themes that came out through that. Can you walk the audience through a little bit about what are those core themes that you uncovered? And let's talk a little bit about each one of them. Yeah, so seven major themes. The first theme was the new age of purpose. And the feeling, as one business leader said to me, that purpose was on steroids at the peak of the crisis. (laughs) And that purpose now was no longer just words that you emblazon on a website. It was now something that your employees, your customers, and your investors would demand was delivered through action and not just words. The second theme was the new world of work, because we saw this remarkable thing that you know most people talk about uh, regarding COVID, which was the move to home working. And, you know, one of the business leaders that I talked to is a very senior executive in Tata, which is based in India. They moved 600,000 people to home working. We did 6,000. Yeah, even 6,000 is big, Brian, but this is 600,000 people. And, you know, many, many major corporations were doing the same thing all, all around the world. As the crisis went on, people have realized that the new world of work was not just about home or remote or hybrid or flexible. We were really seeing defined probably a new psychological relationship between the employer and the employee. Third theme was widening inequality because the virus widened inequality in so many ways. Obviously, it raised, uh, through Black Lives Matter, it raised diversity and, and inclusion in a way that we hadn't seen before. But also, homeschooling raised equality. The people who had access to digital homeworking raised inequality in terms of it was very comfortable for some people to be working from their homes. But those who had dysfunctional homes or were in multi-person homes, difficult for them. And then the vaccine. You know, we already see that I think there's 130 countries around the world which haven't delivered one jab of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. 95% of the vaccines have been delivered in the richest countries in the world. So this is really quite a defining moment round about the widening inequality gap. Fourth theme was about global cooperation, because at a moment when we hope that our politicians would be cooperating across global boundaries they were doing, they were falling out. And I think uh, generally, wherever you were in the world, we were pretty well let down by our politicians, whether you were in Asia, Europe, or the US. It was a pretty sorry scene. And you actually saw large corporations doing far better at global cooperation. If you look at the pharmas that developed the vaccines, if you look at the big tech companies who came together to try and work out track and trace. Next theme was resilience, not just personal resilience, but you know when the crisis comes, cash is king, financial resilience is everything, and the resilience of the operations of these large corporations. Sixth theme was all about resetting the supply chain. Particularly if we're in manufacturing, we couldn't get stuff anymore. Borders were closed and we still see you know, big shortages in computer chips, big shortages in raw materials and the prices of raw materials going up. So this really brought the global supply chain to a shuddering halt and, and I think a major cause to rethink 40 years of decisions that were made on productivity and cost 
and they all fly out the window uh, when a pandemic shuts the borders. And then the last theme, probably dearest to my own heart, is maximizing potential. So maximizing the potential of your employees. We saw physical welfare and mental welfare um, really going up the agenda and a big debate round about what kind of leaders do we lead now? What kind of leaders were successful in the pandemic? And what kind of leaders do we need to lead us out of lockdown? So what was some of the most surprising or unexpected findings after these conversations that you had? I think an unexpected finding was actually that there were no new trends. What you actually saw here was a massive acceleration of trends that were already out there. Right, right. And, and I think you would particularly see that in the world of digital. People have talked about 10 years of digital disruption squeezed into 10 months. I think that was a surprise because I thought we would maybe see some new um, trends mm -hmm. coming up. I think one of the anecdotes that kind of sums it up for me is I spoke to Mark Thompson, who was at the time chief executive of the New York Times, and he had to go into the Times offices to do his earnings call. Mark likes his Brompton fold-up bicycle. And when he got into the offices, I think there's probably about 5,000 people normally in these offices. And when he got in there, there were only about 20 people, security guards, you know, keeping the place safe. And he decided to go for a cycle around the office <laughs> on his Brompton bicycle. And as he went around and he saw the empty savannas of the New York Times offices, he thought it looked like an empty milking parlor. And he had this vision of all these people that went in there to the Times and they hooked themselves up to their desks for mm. the day, you know, milking out their ideas before removing their headphones and making the painful journey home. And he thought at that moment, maybe I should sell my skyscraper. But he decided, I'm not going to sell it, but we have to completely rethink what the relationship is between the worker and the office. You know, and I think that's going to be huge. You know, we see that in cities all around the world. What's going to happen to the central business districts? And, you know, a lot of huge change being seen in Manhattan at the moment. I'd like to get your insight into the emotional feedback that the leaders had. Did you sense a lot of fear or optimism or at that early stage, how did they react to the disruption? The true entrepreneurs, their attitude is utterly staggering because as their billion pounds, and it's mainly a billion pounds of their own money, as their billion pound plus businesses are lying in tatters, they're thinking about what the opportunity is and what the next thing is and how they can build back out of the crisis. And they're remarkably calm. And the number of them who repeated to me that the most important thing was health, safety of your employees. I worked with a chief executive of a large asset management company in Hong Kong who runs many of the shops and offices in Hong Kong and China. And his view was that things could be worse. You know, we had our health. And he stuck by his mantra of the three C's. 
And the three C's for him were cooperation, communication, and care. Now, cooperation was about working together, communicating, we said, was communicating more than you'd ever done before, communicating um, what you didn't know as well as what you did know, and care, care for your people, care for your customers, and care for all your stakeholders. There was a remarkable humanity, and, and almost the bigger the corporate crisis, um, the greater humanity that I saw from the leaders. Did you see from a tactical perspective, the leaders that you interviewed doing similar things, or were there some that stood out that approached the disruption differently and tactically did things, or did they, you see kind of similarities between what the different leaders did? I think there were a number of similarities. I mean, I think agility was, you know, agility and speed of movement was probably top of their agenda. And if you weren't reacting, moving quickly, then you were toast. I think focus was very important. And the number who repeated to me about focusing on the right thing, Mm -hmm. not falling into the trap of making yourself busy. You know, making yourself busy, I think, in that situation is a way of dealing with your anxiety. So it wasn't about making yourself busy. It was about focusing on the small number of items that would make the difference between life and death for your business. I think empathy and compassion in leadership was very strong as well. And I I think seeing the opportunity, seeing the opportunity again, was a big thing. And I think these themes will continue as we come out of the crisis. I don't think there will no longer be steady as she goes in many, if any, businesses. We are into this kind of supersonic age of change. If you're not fast, Brian, you're going to be last. Absolutely. And it's interesting that the themes that you identified and, and wrote about obviously came out of the pandemic itself, but they're similar to what we're hearing today. Like they're not changing much. You know, the idea that you have to have purpose, the world of work is changing, inequality, resilience, all these things that you've mentioned as the core themes as being identified early on in that we're still wrestling with that and they're evolving. So that leads us to the next, I guess, set of questions around we are coming out of this quote unquote, coming out of this pandemic, but what does that mean? And how do you see leaders and companies approaching this reverse culture shock, so to speak, coming out of lockdown? Well, I think one of the things that lockdown and the pandemic has proven is that the command and control type of leadership is dead. You know, I think you are going to see an era of more compassionate and more empathetic leadership, because I think that was the more successful leadership through the crisis. I think you're going to see people who who will want to hold on to the things that worked well at the peak of the crisis and try and recreate them. So, I mean, I've had a number of clients who said to me, how do we recreate the mindset that we had that did remarkable things at the peak here? And how do we recreate the pace of change? Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with that is it sustainable, the pace of change that we had at the peak of the crisis? You know, are you going to kill or uh, blow up your people? But definitely the mindset is fascinating. You know, how did we manage to do the vaccines in such a short space of time? How did we manage to build the field hospitals in weeks rather than what it would have taken years? And how do we manage to make these huge pivots? I don't, I don't like that word, but it was a word of the crisis. How do we manage to make these huge pivots? in so many businesses. And you know, 
some people are going to want to get back. They don't like it in this space. You know, change is uncomfortable. And some people are going to want to get back the way we were. But I think that's a false idea because all your competitors are going to a different place. If you're going back the way, then you're heading back towards an inevitable decline, I would say. Did any of the leaders admit to any kind of failures or things they wish they would have done differently or you know, things they stubbed their toes on? I think they were all pretty open about mistakes that they've made, about not being prepared enough, about underestimating. I mean, we all underestimated how long it was going to take, didn't we? Yeah. You know, you know, when we started doing this book, Brian, the biggest fear people told me was the book will be out of date by the time it comes out. You know, nobody will be interested in that. How, how are you going to manage to keep this current and keep it relevant? Well. You know, the book first published in the UK in the autumn of 2020, published in the US now. One criticism of the book could be that the story is still unfolding. You know, are we in the middle of it? Are we in the last quarter? Where are we in this story? And some of the clients that I'm working with at the moment in my executive coaching were saying, well, you know, maybe the difficult bit is still to come because... We're going to get going again. We're going to get out there. What is hybrid working? What is the new world of work? We've been in many parts of the world, we've been in a steady state. We've got into a routine, certainly over the last weeks and months. Well, that routine is about to change as we try to get back to something resembling the corporate life that we had before. Well, and I think that hybrid environment is going to be even more difficult to manage. You know, it's, it's one thing when you have to move everybody to remote or, you know, everybody has going through the exact same thing and understands that disruption and, and what has to take place because of it. But now as we come out, the variables and opportunities that different companies are having and different communities are having is going to make it that much harder to navigate the hybrid nature of it. Is That's what I'm seeing and hearing about. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Are there any other great stories or interesting stories from the book that would shine some light on people now trying to adapt with this and, and how they can make this transition even better. If I was to give you two or three quotes from some of these business leaders, you know, one of them was a, a guy, Christian Lang, who's chief exec of a tech business, a digital procurement business in San Francisco um, called TradeShift. Um, it's an interesting business because it was formed by three Danes uh, in a garage in Denmark. And then they moved across to San Francisco. And uh, he simply said, with COVID-19, every single long-held belief has been thrown out of the window. Every single long-held belief has been thrown out of the window. I did a bit of interviews with Will Hamid, who has a business called Whoop up in Boston. And Whoop is a wearable tech. I've got my Whoop around my wrist. And his view was that he fundamentally believed that this moment in time will shift the way humanity thinks about health. That's another revolution in this. If you look at the home health and the virtual health world, right. you know, that's a shift that, you know, we've, wow, we've gone 10 years and 15 years in there. And maybe the breakthroughs that we'll see in this next digital revolution will be about solving some of the big problems in health Absolutely. and, our, and our, our healthcare systems. 
I think diplomacy for the next generation, if not several generations, is going to be redrawn. There really is just so much change that's coming about it, and, and we've not really talked much about the diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. agenda. But my favourite quote is from a woman called Alison Martin, who's the chief exec of Zurich Insurance Group in Europe. And she said, why don't we create a world that's fit for our children to live in rather than the one that we were destroying before COVID? You obviously interviewed a lot of business leaders in that. What can the average middle management or person within a company take from the book to make themselves so better or understand how to, uh, again, navigate this new world? This is not a complex Harvard academic analysis. This is storytelling in this book. It's telling great stories of people who found themselves in remarkable positions during this crisis. It tries to give you a window seat in their boardroom. And I think there's so much that everyone can take about leadership. It's not the size of the business. It's the behaviors. It's the innovation. It's the agility. It's that mindset of opportunity. When the crisis hits, do you fear or do you look for opportunity? And while I think many of these people had a bit of fear, their instinctive reaction is to look for where is the opportunity in the crisis. And that sounds a bit like carpet bagging, but it is their true entrepreneurial spirit coming through. Everybody is going to have to learn these skill sets. The world is, like you said, moving faster. And I think we saw that before COVID, but COVID just put a, a stake in the ground for everybody to rally around. So I really do appreciate you coming on Inside Outside Innovation to share your thoughts and share what you learned through this particular process. If people want to find out more about yourself or more about the book, what's the best way to do that? The book is on Amazon.com, one of the companies that um, clearly did very well uh, out of the pandemic. and. I'm doing a lot of executive coaching because I'm in the US and you can find me on atholduncan.com and that's athol with two L's, atholduncan.com. And really for me now, Brian, it's not about selling a book. I've become an evangelist for change and really what I want to do is to inspire as many leaders to not let us go back to where we were because people in some of the workshops that I've been doing are looking for who's going to reset the world, who's going to change business, who's going to change the style of leadership. And I say, guys, it's us. There is nobody else. We are the leaders. If we don't do it, it ain't going to happen. So come on, come on the journey and uh, let's reset the world. Let's reset the world indeed. Athol, thank you very much for being on Inside Outside Innovation and looking forward to continuing the conversation. Like you said, this is an ongoing thing. So we would love to have you back at some point to continue the conversation and see where the world takes us. It's a pleasure. I'd love to come back at any time because I think the next bit is potentially, from a leadership point of view, as interesting as the last bit. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.